before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeFores. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 16, a conversation with Song Suffragette's founder, Todd Cassidy. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't, don't let them stop you. Todd Cassidy is the founder of Song Suffragettes and president of Hi-Fi Fusion and Cassidy Entertainment. He's a veteran music executive, manager, digital marketing executive, documentary filmmaker, and advocate for women and diversity in entertainment. After working in record promotion at Warner Brothers Nashville in the late 90s, he started his own digital marketing company in 2001 called Hi-Fi Fusion. They've worked with all major record companies in Nashville and with multiple artists from Carrie Underwood to Garth Brooks. The video production arm of his company has created television programming for CMT, GAC, E, and Comcast, including executive producing a Taylor Swift Thanksgiving special for NBC. In addition to overseeing song suffragettes, Todd also manages rising artist Kaylee Shore, whose debut album, Open Book, was the only country album on the New York Times Best Albums of 2019 list. We are so incredibly honored to present to you Todd Cassidy. All right, guys, we have Todd Cassidy in the proverbial house because we are still Zooming like the uh, COVIDly conscious people we are. Uh, (laughs) And Todd is super special because he's, I feel like, a big part of a lot of stories in Nashville, especially for women. He's a big part of my story. Um, He gave me my debut show at The Listening Room, which was, in a way, my my bluebird i i'd always loved and known about the bluebird and had that but for me the listening room um was kind of equal and song suffragettes in 2018 was my very first show there i've played many shows with them and loved everyone and todd has always been an incredible champion of women and diversity so welcome todd well thank you that was overly nice but i appreciate it and i'm Glad to be the first listening room experience for you. Well, it was a wonderful experience. Um, can you give our listeners who may not be familiar with you um, and Song Suffragettes a little bit of background on how you got into the industry and what Song Suffragettes is? Uh, well, as you just really astutely pointed out, I'm old. So <laughs> I, um, I I mean, I got in the music business in the mid-90s. Um working for country radio seminar. And then that led to a gig in promotion at Warner brothers records. And then that led to the dot com boom where I worked for a dot com and music. And then that exploded like all dot coms did. This is the really short version and started my own company that did first digital marketing agency for country music. Um, when, when the internet was still called, 
new media or something at the record labels. They had no idea how to do it. So we were really the first people that kind of took it on and we're like, let's get our arms around this and figure out, you know, how to do it. And then that evolved into, um, I remember somebody from LA, a friend of mine called me and said, man, there's somebody told me about this new thing called YouTube. And I remember writing on a sticky note, the letter U and then tube, you know? And I was like, I got to look this up. What is this thing? Right. And this was like in 2001. And, and that became very evident that video was going to be a thing, uh, on the internet. And so we evolved into a production company as well and just literally learned that. And then again, just to do the shortest possible version, then I met Taylor Swift and I started doing all of her. I did her first on-camera interview when she was 15 years old and she and I hit it off. And so we documented her whole rise to power because there's really no other way to say it um, for like seven years, I think, you know, culminating in me doing her NBC special at Thanksgiving. I think it was like 2010 and somewhere along the way I decided that I should be a manager because I don't know why. And I, th- I well, I, I do know why I thought there were a lot of crappy managers out there is the <laughs> truth because I had to work with them in the different capacities. And I was like, uh, I could, I think I could do that. And, uh, middle ma- you know, I started managing Scotty McCreary. That's a long story right after he came off American Idol and just got kind of bit by the management bug. And, and I, I just, to segue into songs for jets, I, I'd worked with a lot of females. Like when I was at, when I was at the dot com, um, I negotiated the sponsorship deal for the Dixie chicks fly tour. We sponsored that tour, you know, and that was when the Dixie chicks were not just the biggest thing in country. I mean, they were top five biggest things in music easily. And, uh, and just, you know, I, I don't know. I've always leaned, you know, towards female voices and I, uh, you know, we did, we documented the Carrie Underwood tour, the blown away tour. You know, we just, I just always found myself more intrigued by female creatives. The joke, my go-to joke is I'm a dude. I get it. It's boring. Right. It's like, (laughs) I don't, you know, women are far more complex humans than we are. And I started just taking notice of a lot of female talent out there that just was getting short shrifted every at every turn, right? It was like nobody was getting then they, and then you were just hearing all the crappy excuses like all women sound alike and female radio listeners don't want to hear female you know, it's just all this stuff and mm-hmm. I just got tired of hearing it. And so I went to my buddy at CAA and I said, Hey, if I wanted to start an all female writers round, what would be your recommendation? And he's like, there's a backstage room at third and Lindsley, which is this tiny little room. I don't know if you guys have been in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really called, it's literally called backstage and it can only fit like 50 people maybe. And so we just kind of hunkered down and, tried to find some talented women to help kick it off. And, uh, and we did, and there were like 20 people at the first one. And then there were like 22 people at the second one. And then Kelsey Ballerini came because she had a a publishing deal and she played and, you know, it just snowballed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the listening room came and said, Hey, 
you know, would you guys move it over here? Cause we have a much bigger venue and it's probably much better suited for what we were doing. And so we've been there. I mean, we're all, we've almost been doing songs over death for seven years and we've been there, you know, six plus of it. So that's that. the shortest narrative I can do there, Sarah. That's perfect. That's a pretty great summary. And, and you've obviously had a chance to work with a ton of women through all of your different roles in the industry. It must be really cool to have that perspective ranging across all that time. Like I moved to Nashville in 97, so I think I was a little bit behind you in, in starting in music here. But how have you seen the landscape change in that? time period uh between then and now for women well you know for lack of a more eloquent way to say it it has always sucked for women in country music right and it's Mm -hmm. you know there was a everybody points to the early 90s you know when there was trisha and um martina and mary chapin carpenter and you know there was there was a there was a greater diversity in women artists uh in country music in the early 90s and at that time, I think the percentage of, you know, if you looked at the radio chart in a week, then it, you know, it might have been as many as 30% females, right? It's But it's never been more than that. Like, never. Like, in country music, never. So, to me, that that's why I take to saying it's always sucked for women in country music, right? And then something happened in the late 90s, early alts that it just... It just took a nosedive. And, you know, for many years, it was 10%, you know, and it was, you know, now at any given week, even now it's between 10 and 20. Like it never, it never tops 20% of country radio airplay in a given, in a a given chart week. So unfortunately, the answer to your question, Victoria, is the changes have been modest at best. And, And for those of us that have been kind of aggressively trying to battle this beast. Um, the one thing that I always say we can point to, whether it's songs over jets or change the conversation, you know, there's quite a few people out there that have kind of started around the same time we did. Not quite a few. There's like really us and change the conversation. Um, and I love those women that the one thing that we talk about is, yeah, we're still fighting this and it's not, the needle's not moving significantly enough for us, but awareness is one thing that we really did accomplish a couple of years ago, right? Like it was really easy for, especially dudes, you know, I call them the old dinosaurs to like put their head in the sand and just pretend that, oh yeah, it's, uh, I got a million excuses and it's not a big, big deal. And it's just the way it is. Right. But I think we, I think there were enough of us out there banging the drum that the awareness just got to be at an all time fever pitch but the tragedy of that is nothing changed in a sub- substantive way, right? There there have been little movements here and there, but I just take to saying it's easy for people, especially I like I watch a lot of female artists in interviews say, because you know, everybody wants to end on a positive and they'll be like, oh yeah, it's hard being a woman, f- a female artist. And then they'll be like, but it's getting better. And I'm like, stop saying that. It's not getting better. I mean, you know, incrementally, it might be better this week than it was last week, but in the in the macro, it's not. Anyway, okay. I think when the other issue with always ending on a, on a positive is also creating 
laziness and people that could totally be really gung-ho for the cause when you say it's getting better they're like okay well change is already happening so i don't need to get involved because it's already happening happening what do i need to do i have literally yeah i've literally taken some manager friends of you know female artists aside and said please ask her to stop doing that because it's like you're not helping anybody you know if you're saying if you hammer about how bad it is and at the and the and at the very end you lilt up then everybody goes just like what you said sarah it's like it's fine you know and it's like it's not fine and it's not getting better just tell it like it is you know and there's some and i i'll say this and this has nothing to do with me or the people fighting this battle but it's like you have artists like marin marin morris who have somehow to their credit figured out a way to kind of stick it to the system and still succeed. And that somebody ought to do a damn master course study in how she pulled that off, you know, because she's, she might be in a class of one and in, in being able to do that. You know, she speaks truth to power and radio still plays her. But, but before that didn't happen, like you would get punished for sure if you spoke out that way. So maybe that's a good sign. I'm not sure. But I'm not lilting up. Is my point. <laughs> well, and I'm curious for you personally, how much energy do you spend trying to change radio and change the system in order to make it work the way that it should, as opposed to how much energy do you spend trying to find ways around it and and other ways of making income, you know, things like that. Um, that's a great question, and and I think. Like I said, up until a couple of years ago, I think we were all raging against the machine. But then it got to the point where we're like, now we're tilting at windmills or whatever that expression is, right? It's like, we're not doing it, right? And so I think that's when we made kind of the switch of going, okay, how do we get crafty and just be like, if we're not going to fix that, how do we work our way around it? And you've seen leaders in the world of country music like Leslie Fram at CMT say, look, we're going 50, 50 parody on our playlists, right? Like that's real leadership, right? That's like, I'm just going around it. And this is what I can have. I always said early on, I was like, when I was proselytizing, I'd be, you know, especially speaking to a room of dudes, I'd be like, if everybody in this room just tried to affect change in the one area that they're heavily involved with or have an expertise, we could, slowly turn this around right but it, you have to have that collective buy-in of everybody affecting their slice of the business and there's just not a a strong enough of a will to do that to do it so to your point i think now everything those of us that are hyper passionate about it everything that we do is how do we get around it i want to touch real quick on something that you mentioned um, when you were giving your little breakdown at the start because it's one of my favorite things about you and I, I want to spend some time talking about it specifically because I feel like when I'm faced with these issues the best place I learn how to deal with them and respond is from a quote or watching an interview from another woman who's answered this question in a way that I want to answer it and so I want to talk for a moment about those things that you mentioned, like all women sound the same, et cetera. Um, 
there are so many excuses that this industry uses for why women shouldn't be or aren't played. And it's we've talked about it a lot. It's kind of the chicken or the egg. Did the excuse come before the situation or did you bend the facts to fix your excuse? Um, and I know for me, one of the first times you and I had um, a really in-depth conversation was, I think, after a CMA uh, viewing party hosted by the song Suffragettes and we were chatting and something came up. I don't know how it came up, but I just had an experience with um, a publisher who told me, oh, like who hooked me up with some rights with some women they represented. Um, They're like, my guys just don't want to write with women. They won't write with women unless it's like Carrie Underwood or it's someone big. And I felt super frustrated because among many other reasons, how do we have diversity and representation if you won't even let us in the room <laughs> to try and present a great idea or make a connection or show that we can cut it? Um, and you got so fired up and and we started and I loved it because it was one of the first times in Nashville that I'd experienced someone other than a woman get really upset and be like, this is fucked up. And yes, and we're we're fighting against it. And I left that conversation feeling so wonderful and so hopeful that it wasn't just women banging on the windows from the outside. It was also people willing to speak up from the inside, from positions of power for us and help us. And I think about that every time I hear someone say something like that. And it gives me like a little push of confidence to be like, no, you can't. There's no way you can explain that to me because it's just a no. That's not correct. Right is it's right. Some, yeah. yeah. And so I want to know what the biggest excuses you've heard are and what you would say to that. And especially for anyone listening, uh, maybe it could give them a little um, point of reference if they ever come across that. Well, before I do that, just I wanted to touch on something else you yeah. said. It's like I always say jokingly that it's a bad optic that a dude started Song Suffragettes, right? It's it's like, you know, that was my like initial reaction, right? It was, was like, oh, it's a bad optic. But then I've learned unless dudes get involved in this issue, it's not going to change because it's like, it's like, it's almost like the, the inverse is true. Like, it's like we're not serving 50% of the population, but if the other 50% of the population doesn't get involved in writing that ship, it can't get solved either, right? So it's, I do get fired up about it because I just wish more, and it, it drives me crazy. It's like, if you have, especially if you're an old dinosaur guy and you're like, and have a daughter, it's like, how do you not care about this, right? How is this not important to you? And I, I, that ends up oftentimes being, when I ask, what's your real motivation? I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old daughter, right? And I don't want them to grow up remembering get your little ass up in this truck song. I want them to grow up with this one's for the girls or, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And I think that's one of the greatest tragedies. And that's what I have a hard time, especially like radio heads and label heads. It's like you have a daughter, man. How are you comfortable with every song being about summertime bikinis? It's like, that's okay. I'm not, averse to that but when that's it when that's the spectrum you should want to fix that right anyway so back to your questions i mean you hear everything i mean 
everything from I've heard labels say we don't like to sign women because they're way more expensive and they can't do morning radio because they have to get up too early to do their hair. Like, is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? <laughs> it's like you've obviously never met an artist that lives and breathes and, you know, sleeps music. They will do whatever, you know, they will walk over, you know, broken glass. It's like, don't make that assumption for I can them. speak from personal experience on the getting up at 2 a.m. to do yeah. 5 a.m. radio. It's like, yeah. if you want to do it, you're going to have to get your butt up at 2 a.m. If you, yeah. you know, it's like, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine, but don't mansplain that, right? It's like, don't you decide that, oh, that's, so that's silliness. And then if you, to keep going down the complete silly strain, you know, there was the, the whole tomato gate thing and the guy that said that, and then and he, and he kept doubling down on his stupidity, right? And, he, and then in one interview, he said, it's scientifically proven that women, the pitch of their voice is off-putting to other women. <laughs> I'm like, bro, oh what kind of bonehead scientistic Trumpism shit are you talking about? Like, I don't, I don't even like, and whatever. So that's like the extreme. And then, and then, you know, when it gets down to women, radio listeners don't want to hear other women because they want to fantasize about the men. And that's why they like to hear men. It's like, man, nobody is this one dimensional. It's like, what are we doing? It's like, we can't. So, so there's lots of dumb reasons, dumb, dumb excuses. And, and the problem is, is then it trickles down to, well, we've decided that we're not going to have that many women. And then we start putting quotas on things, you know, well, we can only sign two women or we can only give them overnight slots and whatever on the radio. And it, it just, you know, so it becomes this just like self-perpetuating cycle of crap that we can't seem to pull out of what you were just touching on um reminded me of a quote i saw the other day and i wish i would have saved it because i immediately thought of this interview when i saw it but um when you were talking about having daughters and and even just that added perspective of it that makes no sense um the disconnect of being able to perpetuate this heavy booty short like over-sexualization, one-dimensional thing, and then going home to your kids and telling them that they deserve the world and they can have anything they want and they deserve respect um, and all of that. Um, this quote said something along the lines of, when you criticize women in power, they don't hear you. They, they're they probably not going to read your comment. They're, they're not going to hear you say this, but your wife hears you, your daughter hears you, your son hears you, your mother and aunt and friend hear you. And that's where the change happens. That's where um, both the negative, the misconceptions about people are really deeply embedded, especially from a young age, but also um, it really shows who you are. And I know for me, I've had a lot of those experiences, especially in the music industry, where people I have very much cared for have said some pretty horrible things about women standing right next to me or to my face and completely continued on like, I wasn't also a woman and like, <laughs> like there was no reason for me to be offended at Victoria. I'm sure you've had a million of those and I'm sure you've witnessed a million of those, um, Todd, but I, I love the way that you just described all of that because to me, that is my biggest thought when it comes to doing a podcast like this and having these conversations is just opening people's minds to just how much their, um, their viewpoints and their misconceptions, um, really trickle down and infiltrate every single part of life. Yeah. 
Well, and I'll take it a step further because it's like, I also have a six-year-old boy and what we have traditionally done, I think culturally is we are like, well, women need to step up. Right. And, and in my generation that translated into women taking on man-like personas to be equal in the, whatever their respective industries were to men. Right. Which is dumb, but I get it. That was a survival tactic, right? And that and that made sense. And now, I think, especially if we're looking at Gen Z, my point is what we have to do now is work with our male children and train them right, right? Because it's like there's for so long been this machismoing of boys as they mature, and that's the foretelling of how they're going to treat women as they get older, right? So you've got to, in addition to teaching your little girls to be strong, you've got to teach your little boys to be uh, tender. I think Brene Brown said it somehow like, you've got to be uh, a strong backbone, but a soft, ch- or, I don't know, she said it in Brene Brown eloquent way, but but it was like, it's okay to be compassionate and and just to tell on myself, it's like there was one time my son did something and and he was crying and I almost said, I need you to man up, you know? And it's like, you can't do it. Like that's part of the problem. You've got to let him be in touch with that part of himself or he's going to grow up and he's going to get in a room with other boys and potentially buy into misogynistic fuckheadery, you know? And it's like, so it's a two pronged thing. And it's, so it goes back to what I said earlier. It's like, you got to get dudes involved in this fight that we're dealing with in country music. And you got to work with the, the, the next generation of boys to get them to stop the machismo before it starts. Do you have um, purposeful conversations with your kids about that? Or are you more trying to sort of lead by example? What is, what's your parenting strategy? I'm curious. I have little girls myself. I talk about it probably more with the girls than I do with my son because, you know, he's still six and he's not really ready to process anything. But but my eight-year-old is sharp and like at any point that, you know, there's a part to go, hey, listen, that's not something that you should ever tolerate. It's actually kind of fun for me to do with her. You know, it's like because she's very headstrong now about it, right? And she's like, you know, but with with my son, it's more like, Hey, we don't, we don't push girls and we don't, you know, and that's the easy stuff. Right. And, but then it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for what I, I I think it's more by example. Like, I don't think he's going to absorb it. If I just said, look, man, don't be a jackass to women. Do you, do you have conversations with um, your daughter about what you do and the significance of what you're doing with and for women? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, they love songs for jets, right? I mean, they love it, right? And I mean, especially my oldest one. Like she came, I brought her the other night and she just loves being there, right? You know, the problem is she wants to be a singer. And that's that. So we've created a whole other problem there. But (laughs) we we don't want to wish that on anybody, right? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the osmosis of that is amazing, right? It's just empowered women speaking their truth. And, you know, she's going to live and breathe it, right? As long as she doesn't become a singer, 
it'll all work out great, right? Exactly. Well, that's one of the things that I ask myself with my daughters is that I'm trying to give them an environment where they're perceiving things as equal playing field. And, um, but I know that they're going to come up against it at some point. But I, I would like them to march into the world with the expectation that things will be equal enough to, to demand that things be equal. Yeah, I mean, like I've taken my daughter to the, what was the women's march? Like if 2016 or 2017 or whatever. It's like, because they need to see that and they need to be exposed to the importance of that, right? And I'm not like a sign-making protester, but I was like, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to walk in this thing and we're going to see what you pick up Again, through osmosis, right? I spoke to a, a group of women at Belmont the other day over Zoom, and um, and they were like, "Well, what do you think are what? Do you, what would be your advice to us?" And I was like, well, "I, I said, what I love about your generation is you're now known for poking the establishment in the eye, right?" <laughs> and I was like, "We." I think us old guys, we now expect that of you and you must keep doing that because it's their world. The future is, and it's like, you got to make it how you want it. And you've got to like, so don't shy from poking the establishment in the eye. And you could tell they were all like, well, that was not what I was expecting, but that's what needs to happen. Right. You know, cause I think we can fix a lot of these things in a couple of generations. It's not going to happen in mine, but we have to have enough shepherds in mine. And then, it's just going to hopefully bleed out. It's like racism. You just hope that as everybody becomes more olive skin, that's just going to just bleed out. I love that. And I think speaking about how we also have to talk to young men is one of my favorite topics because we don't often talk about that side of feminism, but feminism is for everybody. It's not women over men. It's everybody equal. It's if someone can't see over the fence and you can pull up a stool. You don't have to get down and give everything you have away. Um, it's really for everybody and what helps women also helps men. And I can say just yesterday, I had such a beautiful moment with a handful of friends of mine in the industry. Um, I shared something about Harry Styles, his Vogue cover in a dress. And there was uh, a couple specific people speaking out against it and saying how um, manliness doesn't exist anymore and all that stuff. Um, And I found it so funny because creatives especially and male creatives have been doing that forever they've been wearing makeup they've been wearing frills and dresses and testing the boundaries and they get pushed back and all that but I posted a series of things and then a series of photos um, of men in the past that have been seen as these like godlike sexy manly heroes um, and as examples and every single person who responded to my story was a man and every single one was around my age. And they were like, thank you so much for sharing is absolutely yes. And I could feel their relief in those messages because they connected with that. They were creatives. They were men who had been told at one time to man up um, or that something they did wasn't uh traditional, etc. And it made me internally really make a pact with myself to talk about that more because we you're right, we do a really great job of talking to young girls and women and being champions, but sometimes 
men's involvement in that can be left to the wayside and that's why i'm super excited to see how these coming generations and even my generation um grow up and handle that in the world because i think as we talked about in a previous episode we recorded we are the generation that loves therapy we love self-work we love doing better we love poking the establishment in the eye um and it's gonna be a really fun time yeah we love community i mean you you guys love community better than any generation that's come before you and you know that wasn't the way i was raised right it was dog eat dog world you gotta look out for number one right and that's just not the way you guys were raised and and you know and then the general you know the boomer generation over me whether it's my parents or my wife's parents or whatever it's like you know the world's going to hell and i was like you know what the world's not yours to decide anymore you just can't imagine that maybe they're making everything better and you just gotta let it go but but can i touch on something you said that um if, if everybody was more of a feminist, it would make it better for everyone, right? Because it's about equality. It's not about man-hating, right? And I say that just to full circle it back to music is I always say that if you're looking at country radio specifically, the exclusion of women on the playlist uh, is directly proportional to the homogenization of men on those same playlists. So it's like, it's just about diversity, right? Radio is better historically with diversity. And what's happening now is not only are women not getting the opportunity, same opportunity that men are, are getting, but the men that are on there are being so homogenized and so narrow cast that you can't distinguish a lot of them, right? I mean, it's a common kind of, I don't know, position in Music Row that's like, I can't tell this guy with a cowboy hat and a t-shirt from that guy in the cowboy hat with a t-shirt. So, you know, yes, it's, it's disproportionately unfair, I guess, to women, but it's also negatively, you know, just this widespread sameness is whatever the quota is of women and the quota is of man and with truck songs or what, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't, nobody wins with that. And that's, we could have a whole conversation about the deterioration of terrestrial radio around that, right? So they won't ever talk about it, but it's happening. But nobody will step out because they're so scared of dropping a rating point, which takes the ad revenue down. And it just so, you know, I, I've really taken, Victoria, to go back to your earlier thing about are you trying to fight it or are you trying to work around it? It's like, I do think that the only way to fight it, I've just kind of come to that conclusion, is you got to figure out a way to hit radio in the pocketbook. Because the, the general manager of the station or the cluster or whatever doesn't give a damn about what they're playing on the air. Doesn't give two shits about it, right? What he does care about is ad revenue and ad revenue maintaining the same. And, you know, I've always said, you know, if we could have a conversation with Procter & Gamble and say, before you buy ads, ask the radio station what their percentage male to female airplay is. And they'd be like, oh, shit, why are they asking me that question, right? And they would be like, oh, is that, an, is that a thing for you? Well, yeah, I'm Procter & Gamble, and I sell to mostly women products. It's like, yeah, it's a thing to me, right? And But just going to take that level of like hitting them in the pocketbook because literally the guys that run those things don't care what you play. I think that's brilliant. We're going to have a conversation, an upcoming conversation with Leslie Fram, and I know that's um – going to be a focus for the change of conversation moving forward as well to to just try and bring that awareness to the advertisers because that's the only language that 
uh, radio is really going to hear and understand is is yeah the revenue the advertising revenue being affected by it and getting pressure from that that direction so I think that's a brilliant way to approach it and I hope that that can be pushed moving forward I know so it's like I wish that we could have like a time's up moment in broadcasting yeah right I mean because if that could happen it would change markedly overnight like I mean not, I'm not even exaggerating you know if a GM thought that Procter and Gamble was going to pull all their ads because it was disproportionate then they would fix that shit tomorrow like it wouldn't even be a blink but then, you know, hopefully what you've got to find in that situation, because I'm sure there are dinosaur men running most of those companies, is you got to find the women and you got to make them that are leading the companies that advertise a lot on the radio. And you got to say, hey, this is important. I talked and I won't name who it was, but I went down this road a little bit a few years ago and called somebody that was a very prominent in a trade organization that was a female. And she started arguing with me. She was like, well, it's just because, I mean, she was using all the same excuses that male radio people were using. I was like, you know, I was like Stockholm syndrome much. Like what's going on? Like, you know, you've been so just conditioned for so long. And she's literally one of the smartest people I know. Like I'm not dissing her, right? It's like she just had been drinking the Kool-Aid for so long. She But toward the end of the conversation, it was really interesting. She was like, huh, okay, we should keep talking about this, right? Because nobody had challenged her assumptions. And, you know, you start changing powerful women in those leadership roles, perspective on things. Well, and I think a lot of bias kind of starts from arguments and excuses that seem on the surface reasonable, when you first hear them like, oh, the, okay, then I guess I can buy that. And it takes really digging into it and getting some data as well before you can really disprove them. And we also, I love that you guys continued that conversation because I feel like a lot of times, especially with these difficult topics, we find someone who doesn't agree and we shut that conversation down. And the fact that you guys were able to go through all of it, explain your sides, listen, even though you didn't agree, and it ended up with a little shift of perspective that could end up somewhere massive is a really big deal because it's those small little victories with this stuff we've seen it's not something that can change overnight. It's very slow burning. So that is very hope inducing for me but it also makes me wonder how 2020 has changed what you guys are doing how it's impacted what you had set up for this year and how you're moving forward well you know the the biggest tragedy of 2020 for songs over jets is we had our we had a uk tour planned you know and it's like and that stuff doesn't come together quickly or easily, right? So something you work on for like, you know, nine months to a year, and it was just blown out of the water, you know? And it was going to be you know, such a great footprint for us. Cause I, and I think you could say this for not just women, but like the UK has a penchant for singer-songwriters. And I, I, don't, I can't explain that, but they do. And... So we, I think we're real, I mean, like, you know, we were working with AEG to put this tour together and it's, that's a major player because they said, you know, our audience is into that. Right. And, uh, you know, for that just to go poof, that was that, that, I mean, I say it about everything. That's been the worst part of COVID for, for me professionally. It's just like, oh, 
And I think it'll come back and they want it to come back. And we've been doing some stuff with C2C over there already that suggested it is going to come back. But it's just, you know, it was such going to be such a big step for us. And then it just, you know, there it goes. But um, but beyond that, like, I, you know, and I feel bad. I feel guilty saying it a little bit. But I mean, I had COVID. So this is really easy for me. I had it like uh, I was like. My neighbors call me patient zero because I had it back in March. So, it, it, you know, and Kaylee had it too. And we just, I don't know where we got it, but we got it. And so I, I, I don't think I have a natural reaction. Like I've had antibody tests and all that. But we started back Songs for Jets really right as the listening room reopened, you know, because I was like, look, everybody isn't going to want to participate, but there are people that are going to want to participate and we'll be as safe as we can. And it's almost to me like, and this is going to sound grandiose, but it's like, it's a leadership thing, right? It's like, look, these are trying times. And if we can come up with pragmatic solutions to try to mitigate the situation, if you want to lead, that's what you have to do. Right. And it's like, God forbid we have a massive outbreak at the listening room next week and I'll eat those words. But knock on wood, we've been lucky. And the listening, you know, listening room is a great place to have a show in COVID because it's very big and has high ceilings and they've taken half the tables out. And um, so it, I feel like, I don't feel like we're putting anybody in major jeopardy. And again, like I could admittedly be coming out that from a COVID convalescent standpoint where it's not justifiable in the macro, but that's the way I feel about it. And so it really hasn't changed that much for us from a boots on the ground standpoint, but it's caused some macro disappointments for sure, just because there's some initiatives, particularly that tour that we can't do. And you also guys, you guys did digital shows, even when you yeah, couldn't we do in person. And those were really wonderful. But I have to say, as someone who's high risk, the in-person show I played for you guys last month was my one and only show of 2020. And I felt very safe. Um, well, I shouldn't say only, but I mean, I'm about to go back to California for the rest of the year. So only. Um, <laughs> and it was so safe. Everyone was cautious, but it felt so good to get back to what we do. And the crowd was so excited, even though there were precautions People were so excited. There's something about music that is not only just pleasurable and interesting, it's really healing. And to be around people, even at a distance, it's really massive. It felt different for me. And every one of us in the green room were like, this is some energy we haven't felt in a long time. <laughs> that element of togetherness, it adds another, I mean, when you take that away and you just try to do things through a video performance, it loses a, a big portion of the magic that happens in music. It just does. So, I mean, we're doing the best we can without it, you know, but... But boy, oh boy, it makes such a huge difference doing it in person. Yeah, that first show we did back, I felt the same way. I was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I missed it. You know, you 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 just, it's a very guttural thing. And it's been, it's been fun for us too, because almost every show we've had since getting back, we've had one person that, one performer that was like, this is my first show. You know what I mean? So we, so we've gotten to like kind of have that moment over and over where it's somebody like, oh my God. And they'll, they'll be up there on the stage and be like, how good is it to be back up here, you know? And because if, if that's what you love, that's a big thing to be taken away from you. And, 
And so that's pretty fun to watch because I, I had the same feeling just being in the audience. So I can imagine being the performer. It's, yeah. I'm curious to know, my gosh, your, your career, there's so many different aspects to it over the years. And in the grand scheme of things in the music business, so far, it's already been a long career. Um, so personally, what kind of lessons have you learned about navigating a long-term career in music or entertainment? Like, what's the secret? What are the secrets to that for you? Well, there's not a secret. I, I, the best way I can answer that question is I always say the entrepreneurial burden, right? When I decided to be entrepreneurial in 2001, right? The entrepreneurial burden is that not only do you feel hell-bent to try things, you also get bored with things. And that's, so if you really allow yourself to be entrepreneurial, your baby today probably won't be that interesting to you in five years or six years or seven years. So I've been fortunate that I've, you know, figured out a way to continue to carve out a path when I got bored. Um, So it's less about like purposeful, you know, it's more about uh, I want to try management because I've seen a bunch of crappy managers and I think I could really do that. And then you try it and it works out and you're like, Oh, I really like this, you know? So there are very few entrepreneurs that do the same thing forever because you just want to try stuff, right? It's just, I don't know. It's probably a personality flaw. I don't know what it is, but it, it is what it is. The- it's your own creative spirit. I was talking about that the other day with someone and Creatives are uniquely suited for 2020. We've never had security. We've always had to adjust. We've never really been paid anyways. So we're like, we're good, <laughs> you know? And um, it, I think that's the same thing with what you were describing. You adjust, you find new passions, you find places where there's a hole and you fill it. And I think those for me have always been my favorite people to meet. And Victoria, I don't know about you, but I think whether or not someone went to school for it or had a long pass in it, the people that I've always felt really inspired by have been people who saw something being done wrong and were like, I can do it right and I want to do it right because it's the right thing to do. And you're successful for that reason. Well, And you, and you have to be willing to, to deal with the learning curve, right? Because, you know, it's like... I've taken to saying about song suffragettes, I've put in my 10,000 hours now. And so I know so much more. Um, I mean, like I should be doing publishing, like not because I set out to be doing publishing, but it's like my go-to joke is it's like, if you're watching the Olympics and you watch water ballet and you watch it for like five hours, by the end of that, you know, who's good. Right. And you, you may have gone in not knowing jack squat about water ballet, but, you know, just repetition and studying. So, you know, when you put your 10,000 hours in, you're like, I can tell you what songs are undeniable right now, you know, and it, I didn't set out to do that. Right. But you just kind of like you got to be willing to put in the time if you're going to make a pivot. But you're but I think you're generally better at, if you can pull it off because you have a much broader foundation of other knowledge, you know, that you can like stand on. Um, so yeah, but Victoria, to your point, it's like, I, I've also been saying about COVID, it's like, 
you've seen a lot of people take take a, make a lot of major life changes in COVID because I think we all thought there was like some sort of metaphorical bedrock foundation in our lives and COVID show us, showed us that nope, you know, it's like, and people are like, oh wait, there are no rules. Well, F it, I'm going to go do this, this, you know, or I'm going to, you know, get out of this relationship or I'm going to whatever um, because there are no, when they, when you can shut down the world for months, it's like, there are no rules. That's a great way to put it. And it's a real recognition of what your personal priorities are when the socially enforced priorities are taken yeah. off, That's right. you know, and it's like, oh, now I'm steering my ship and I have to figure out what I want to do. And it doesn't matter what everyone out there's thinking or expecting of me because everything is just interrupted right now. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. I've just seen a lot of people take bold moves that I didn't expect from them just because they're like, I got nothing to land. I got nothing to no foundation. So why don't I try different stuff? So I think it's cool. It's not fun in a lot of ways, but it's cool. I want to end this portion before we get to rapid fire with just asking if you have any predictions for how diversity in the industry will evolve over the next couple years or any hopes of places that you really wish it would start and grow from. Um, you're just, we're going to have to force diversity onto music, right? And for, you know, there's some organizational initiatives, whether you're talking about the uh, Grammys, you know, gender and diversity task force, which I've spoken to before, you know, it's like, you know, there are some people that are really trying and like the Grammys went out of their way to try to get a lot more women voters over the past two years. Like they've been hyper aggressive about it. They got me. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, you know, and I think that's going to make market changes in you know, the industry. It's like, but you got to have that kind of leadership. It's like forced diversity. And we all kind of want to go, uh, do I want forced diversity? But in that situation, it's just to make more equitable opportunities. You kind of have to do it if you really want to lead on it. So, you know, I don't have a great answer to the question, except that the next generation is going to make it happen. And I think there are some people out there that are willing to, to fight for it. And then Leslie Fram's going to figure out a way to to go around it with her things that she can affect. And I'm going to figure out a way around it with the things I can affect. And, and it's just, it, it's going to take a while to turn the ship, but you know, I think we're getting close. Oh my God. Look, I just did what I said not to do. I, I lilted up. up How dare me, but we're amongst friends here. This is not to like the media. That's what drives me crazy. It's like, and the, the, and the journalists do it too. They'll like write this whole scathing thing at the end. They go, but there's signs that it's like, don't, don't take moment. It's okay. We've we've had enough of a talk about it. I think people understand. Okay, good. So, who's your favorite creator at the moment? Long-term creator, I'm a huge Banksy fan. Oh, yes. Which is random, but I've been like a long-time Banksy fan. So brilliant. That's not like that's like not of the moment. You know, there's so many great women making music right now because so many of them have been boxed into a corner and just said, F it, you know, I'm going to do what, what I want to do. Right. And I think you're seeing that way more frequently in females than you are in males. Cause males are like, Oh, it's not too hard to get in the game if I do the homogeny thing. Right. But females are like, 
there are no options that are good for me. I should just do something different. And I'm like a big Sasha Sloan fan. And, and uh, I'm a big um, Lauren Dusky fan. Like if you listen to Lauren Dusky's EP, like it's old now, but it's like sonically she's doing stuff nobody else is doing. And, it, you know, and it, it's because they've been backed into a corner. So, you know, my favorite creators of the moment are probably these females that are just doing things that you're not hearing, you know, on the radio, but your favorite trend. The first thing that comes to mind is just going back to what we said earlier. It's like the young, the younger generation poking the establishment in the eye. Like I'm just, whether it's gun control or BLM or it's just, I love watching you know, dinosaurs get poked in the eye. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we do too. Okay. Uh, what about a trend that you wish would stop? Uh, 100% labels signing TikTok stars. Like that is the shortest sighted bunch of shit that I've seen happen in the industry in forever. It's like you can't succeed on it long term. You can't. It's like, and they're giving these kids like, crazy advances and it's like it's not gonna work and it's like how they can't see that it drives me crazy it's like i always point to and i've done this before he won entertainer of the year the other night to eric church it's like eric church's first two albums were practically stiffs right and it's like but he had something and they stuck with it and now he's one of the greatest artists inarguably in our format, right? You can't pull this TikTok joker because they did a dance to something. I mean, you're going to find, you know, like, yeah, there's going to be a little Nas X every once in a while in the mix, but the rest of them are going to be like these one hit wonders at best. I mean, I don't even think most of them are going to have a hit. Well, it just seems like a cop-out on the part of the label, like trying to bypass the work that needs to be done and just grab an audience somehow the easy way. Yeah. And, and, you know, and obviously there's a financial argument that that that's prudent. People have been signing people for years now off of their Spotify numbers too. And it's like, I just wish that gut was still more of a play in artist development. And unfortunately it's just not. When we look 10 years in the future, the artists that make it are going to be ones that were nurtured and not exploited. Because that's what you're doing to these TikTok people. You're exploiting them. And most of them aren't ready and they're not equipped and they're just not, they're B-level talent at best, right? What about the last time you failed? Oh, dude, on the daily. What are you talking about? Like, talk about the entrepreneurial burden, right? Like, I can tell you more times that I failed that I haven't, but it's like, you know, what is it? If you're not falling down, you're not learning. I mean, failure's not a bad word as far as I'm concerned. It's like you, you just, if you, it is if you don't learn from it. But if you learn from it, the big, my biggest fear as an artist management manager is, is like waking up one morning and not having one more angle to move the ball forward. You know, and guess what? A lot of those plays you're going to run to move the ball forward are going to be stinkers and they're not going to go anywhere and it's just going to be, you know, wasted effort. But keep running a play every day, every once in a while, you're going to make a few more yards, you know? Well, and going back to our conversation about parenting, um, I've read quite a few things lately that have talked about one of the best ways to equip daughters f for having 
an equal foothold in the world is to encourage them to try things and fail and not be averse to to taking risks, um, not be worried about being judged for, for failing. So rah, 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 go for it. What'd you fail at today? Good for you. <laughs> All right, so our last question is, if you could go back in time and visit yourself at any point to give yourself some advice, what would you say? Give less of a shit about what people think about what you're doing, because the truth is they don't care, right? Everybody's so self-serving in the world. You know, I think especially when we're young, we're like, oh, they think that I, you know, I don't want them to think whatever. They ain't thinking about you, you know? So it's like, don't even factor that in. And I think we all do it. It's part of the maturation process, right? But it's like, if I had started earlier not giving a shit what everybody thought, I would have been way better off. And I would have tried more things, right? Um, So yeah, I mean, you know, but I think that's, almost circle of life level stuff. So you can't beat yourself up about that too no, much. That's true. Well, and the, and, and the older I get, the more I realize that people take their cues about how to feel about you from you and how you feel about yourself. <laughs> 100%. It's like, it's so true. It's like manifest all damn day because that's all that matters. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you for spending a little bit of your night with us. What a great episode. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Kudos for doing this, guys. It's 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 awesome and I'm a huge supporter and good for you. It's amazing. Keep doing it. I think it'll, you know, that's what I always say about songs over debt. It's like one day I'm going to wake up and it's going to all make sense. And I think that that's going to happen to you guys with this. And so good on you. To stay up to date on all things the table on social media, Join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the Table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you.